Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. My name is Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Today on the Gut Health Reset Podcast, we are talking all about the microbiome. We also talk about lifestyle factors that will deplete your microbiome and some things to avoid. We also talk about the food groups that are going to improve your gut microbiome and also how you need to be careful about soil depletion, medications, and chemicals that could be creating issues with your microbiome. We are also going to talk about tips and tricks that you can do to improve your gut health right now. My special guest is Mary Purdy, who is an integrative eco-dietitian with a master's degree from Bastyr University, where she currently is is adjunct faculty. She's been in clinical practice for over 12 years, utilizing personal medicine and a functional nutrition approach. She's given over 100 nutrition workshops, speaks regularly at health and nutrition conferences, and was a keynote speaker at Bastyr University commencement ceremony in 2019. Additionally, she hosts a podcast, The Nutrition Show, and she's authored the books, Serving the Broccoli Gods and The Microbiome Diet Reset. She is a trained climate reality leader and a consultant working with organizations to create sustainable and a food system that supports planetary health and helps to mitigate climate change. You know what's interesting? I actually get this question a fair amount in practice is, okay, well, I'm just, I don't have time to sleep. I don't have time for it. And I'm super stressed out Mm -hmm. and I don't have time for exercise. Can I eat my way out of a bad microbiome, but I'm going to do what I want with the lifestyle? Mm. And what do you say to that? Um, I actually, Are you asking me? Oh, well, yeah, to you. But I, I mean, personally, I think that the lifestyle changes have to be made. I, I slowly start to make the lifestyle changes because if you're so stressed out, you can't exercise, but the exercise is going to make you feel better. So I slowly, because it just seems like a big you know, jump sometimes for people, like they can't work everything in at one time. So I just make small, small changes to their lifestyle so that they can slowly start to incorporate those things. But yeah, the question is, I don't believe you can eat yourself out of anything. Um, You know, I I think those lifestyle factors, especially when lifestyle factors often drive decisions around eating, if you don't sleep enough, and you're super tired, I can guarantee you, you're going to crave foods, that may not necessarily support your body as well. And that's a, a fatigue thing. Same thing with exercise. We know that when people move their body more, they feel better, they make different dietary choices. When someone is stressed out, it's very common for them to want to eat pretty much anything they see in front of them because that stress or those emotions are driving the behavior behind food, which for many people is comforting, right? So getting some of those lifestyle pieces in play, even if it's one thing, as you said, like, you know, what's the one thing you could see yourself doing that you think would have the most benefit, even if it's 15 more minutes of sleep, 10 minutes of exercise, uh, or, um, you know, doing whatever is a stress reliever for you for five minutes. You know, it it doesn't have to be, I'm going to go on retreat for 10 days. I'm going to sleep 12 hours a night and I'm going to exercise three hours a day. Like that is not realistic. Not for me either. So, um, whatever, 
whatever place someone is willing to start or ready or able to start, even with one small shift, I think can make a big difference. You know, I just, with the things that deplete your microbiome and, and foods, you know, my own personal experience for myself and just knowing that I sleep really well, I exercise pretty frequently, but, uh, and I, and I, and I eat really well, but I tend to be a stress case and I, my secretary IGA was tanked and my gut microbiome was tanked. Like I did not have mm. the diversity just from one of these factors when I ran wow. my own GI map and just looked at it was like, holy Toledo, no bad pathogenic bugs, but low gut flora. And I mean, and, and it's still eating enough fiber per day, et cetera. So, I mean, I, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I just don't think you can eat your way out of it. You have to make those lifestyle modifications. Well and let me throw something else to your way because i think there are oftentimes things that people don't consider when they think about what helps the microbiome and what depletes the microbiome so we also have to remember that medications have an impact on the microbiome that a lack of stomach acid right has an impact on this on the microbiome stress depletes stomach acid oral contraceptives have an impact on stomach acid um ppis uh, proton pump inhibitors or antacids have an impact on stomach acid NSAIDs have an impact. So, so many other things may be playing a role there. And the other piece that I think people don't think of, and, I, and I'm happy to talk about more foods that disrupt um, microbiome health, is the environmental piece. So we've talked about lifestyle factors, but we also need to look at the environment. And this is why I call myself an eco-dietitian, because you cannot, or we can no longer, separate environmental health and how we grow our food or how the food is grown with human health and specifically microbiome health. So if the food that we are eating, even if it's, you know, a beautiful batch of broccoli, the way that we are growing our food now um, by disrupting the soil, tilling the soil, not keeping it covered, um, planting with lots of fertilizers or using pesticide, those all have been shown to disrupt the soil microbiome. And when the soil microbiome is disrupted, that can have an impact on our own microbiome as well. Not only because the microorganisms are no longer in the soil, but also because the soil is not producing food with the same phytochemical content because of that disruption of the soil. And lastly, we may ourselves be exposed to pesticides from pesticide residues of plants that have been sprayed with pesticides, or we may in turn be eating animal foods that have been fed antibiotics. And we now know that those antibiotics, even in small trace amounts, are being um, fed to us, in, in, even in small amounts, are leading to things like antibiotic resistance, and therefore may also be having an impact by being an antibiotic, um, really depleting the good bacteria, the good biotics that are hanging out in our guts. So those are all other factors that I think sometimes are not even on people's radar. And the more we think about our environment, our food system, our agricultural system, how that food is grown or not grown, that is another piece of this equation. And so when we're looking at this, you know, because our soils are so depleted, we're not getting the yeah. nutrition that we once were getting from food. So it's almost like we need, it's not almost like we need to supplement in order to support our nutrition, right? Because we're getting deficient in certain minerals, certain vitamins, et cetera, phytonutrients, as you said. What, um, what do we do to 
to get the proper nutrition from our food? You know, it's a really great question. And I would say that some of us are lucky and privileged enough to have access to the foods that are nutrient dense and healthy and organically grown. And many people do not have that access. So this is a much larger, you know, looking at the root cause or causes or contributing factors of needing to change our food and agricultural system, number one. Now, that being said, since we can't do that tomorrow, um, the more we can purchase food that is grown in a way that is building the soil and doesn't mean it has to be certified organic. Lots of people grow their own food or buy from farmers markets or farmers who aren't certified organic, but they are growing in an eco-friendly way, not using as much pesticides or fertilizer. So that's one strategy is just where you get your food from as much as you are able to get those foods that are grown in that way is really key. And I think the other thing is the more whole foods we can get in, right? So really reducing those ultra processed foods, which while they may provide the calories that people need to survive, they don't ultimately provide the nourishment that people need to thrive and have their health be optimized. So any way we can gather in our diet more foods in their whole form and minimally processed or really taking out or avoiding or reducing or you know just getting less of those ultra processed foods and that doesn't just mean the refined sugar and the refined carbohydrates but also those refined oils which are found in a lot of um cooking at, at restaurants but also in a lot of processed products all of those have been shown to deplete the gut microbiome and um and invite the less friendly uh buddies in there that we don't want so many of this is Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Have you ever spent hours searching for the right supplements to heal your body? And when you finally found them, maybe you weren't sure it was a brand that you could trust or if the products were safe. After hearing about these issues time and time again, I decided to put together a complete store of supplements for healing and supporting your gut at dranmariebarter.com. There are supplements for constipation, thyroid health, gut health, energy, and so much more. There are bundles created for sleep support, pain support, histamine support, and the list just goes on and on. These supplements I use personally, or I've handpicked because they've worked time and time again on countless cases in the office. And on the website, you can see what ingredients we use to put your mind at ease. If you visit DrAnnMarieBarter.com and use the promo code podcast to get 10% off your next order. So what are you waiting for? Go visit Dr. Anne Marie Barter and get 10% off your supplement bundle. Ciao. And now back to our episode. I was listening to, to somebody say one time um, that there was no difference between organic nutrition and conventionally grown nutrition. And I thought that that was a really interesting comment. I since found a lot of studies that actually disprove that um, in that the, there was no difference in the nutrient density as well as in the chemicals. So that was super fascinating that I, I found that super fascinating. Do you have any comments on that? 
Um, how much time do we have? Because yeah, this is I think, one of the most <laughs> perpetuated myths out there that, that I think is perpetuated by a lot of agribusinesses who want us to believe that there is no difference between organic and conventional. And I will tell you this, in some cases, that may be true for certain nutrients. So you might look at, well, this, it actually has the same amount of protein as this, like organic, non-organic, same amount of protein. But when we dive deeper into the specific nutrients, right? when we look at micronutrients, vitamin C levels are higher in organic food. Omega-3 fatty acids are going to be higher in your organic dairy or meat um, and fish. Uh, things like um, all those phytochemicals that I talked about, those need to be considered, right? So a strawberry that's grown organically versus a strawberry that's not grown organically is not likely to have the same kind of or the, the organic one is going to have more phytonutrients in it than the than the conventional one. And same goes with those pesticides. And again, how that food was grown and the quality of that soil, that makes a difference. So uh, there's plenty of research that shows that organically grown food, and again, not everyone has access to this, but um, it, it is definitely higher in nutrient value than the conventional in most cases. So... Um, I'm happy to provide some of that research if people are interested. Yeah, I was, I was blown away by that. I was like, really? You think that? Okay, well, I've got studies from Harvard, studies from Stanford, studies yeah. here. I've got, you know, PubMed studies that say otherwise. I can pull those up. But it was really fascinating that that was a really perpetuated myth because it was something that I had accepted for a long time as fact. And so it was really interesting for me to be taken back and really needing to explain that again, which was good for me. I think that was really important for me to be able to, to do that. But I was just taken aback by that because they were pretty passionate that it was the same. So fascinating, I think, stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> overall. I, I think a lot of people have that impression. And so it's great. I think I actually have my um, a, a notebook here somewhere that's about like organic versus conventional. I have all my papers compiled so I can always whip it out, although I can't find it right now. But um, <laughs> But yeah, and, and I think that's being perpetuated by these large agribusinesses who are growing in a way that's um, that's not really supporting the land. So let's get into a little bit of a controversial topic. Let's get into Ooh. Roundup, <laughs> and let's talk about let's talk about Roundup and um, and what you've actually seen um, from from that perspective, how that's affecting the soil how that's affecting the nutrients and, and what you think that that's doing to our overall food supply. Wow. Again, how much time do we have? Okay. So, uh, so Roundup is a weed killer, right? Um, it's the, the, the ingredient, the active ingredient is glyphosate. This is this herbicide under the umbrella of pesticides. So when we say pesticides, that includes herbicides, whoops, <laughs> and fungicides, um, and actual pesticides. And so the literature is more and more clear on glyphosate. Actually, a, a, um, uh, a ruling was just just announced several weeks back um, about a, a, a case of somebody who is a farm worker who, who has been directly exposed to glyphosate and, and has experienced cancer. And this, and this is 
across the board, we're, we're seeing this in people who are directly exposed, people who are applying that, farm workers in the fields, communities right by uh, those fields that are that are sprayed with glyphosate. There are issues with fertility. There are issues with um, uh, defects, uh, birth defects. There are issues with cancer. Uh, so there is a direct uh, correlation, and I would I would venture to say causation or contri contribution from glyphosate to those issues. But we've also seen um, around and glyphosate being round up. We've also seen neurological issues. Um, in fact, I just heard an interview, saw an interview of somebody, again, who was a farm worker who had a constant tick in his eye as a result of um, being exposed to glyphosate on such a regular basis. Um, so that is, that is the people who are directly exposed to that. And remember, the glyphosate is killing weeds. So ultimately, some of those weeds are normally there in the ecosystem of that field or that agricultural system to act as um, pest deterrence. So the increase in something like the herbicide glyphosate has actually led to, or the use of this has led to perhaps fewer weeds, great, great for the weeds not being there, but has actually led to an increase in the use of pesticides, which again, have huge implications for the ecosystem, for the environment. We know that pesticides um, have an impact on pollinators, our bees and our butterflies, which are providing uh, one out of every three bites of food, and um, also an impact, again, on the, the health of the soil. And then as it relates to pesticide residues, we've seen connections in the literature between pesticide exposure and uh, reproductive issues, autoimmune issues, um, again, those neurological issues, Parkinson's. So is glyphosate a problem? I would say it is a huge problem and we are learning more and more about this. And it used to be put out by uh, Monsanto or Monsanto used to be the name of the organization and now it's Bayer Crop Science. So keep an eye out for uh, the literature that's going to continue, I think, to come out um, both in, about lawsuits and about continued health effects and environmental effects um, in the future. Because this has been banned in other countries, but yet it's still allowed here. Am yeah. I correct? It's very much allowed here. And it's in fact, it's the second most popular used or most prevalently used um, uh, herbicide. In fact, it might be the, it's either atrazine or glyphosate, which is the most popular and one's, one's the second one, one's the runner up. So it's a huge problem. And, and again, this comes from the power that many of these agribusinesses have and the conglomerations and the consolidation of these businesses so that there's, you know, four large companies that are supplying all of these different pieces of our agricultural system. And there isn't a lot of um, way to, to change a system because these powerful, these systems, have these companies have become so incredibly powerful and boy, they've got a lot of people working for them, including a lot of people who are in, in the, in the political realm and who are in control of policy. Mm -hmm. Crossover is a little sobering, isn't it? <laughs> between the government and between these corporations, it's a little sobering. It is. It's mm -hmm. un, it's unsettling to see because, you know, it, it, it reduces our ability to trust in our policymakers if we know that they are also on the board or were formerly on the board of a big business, and now they are directly in contact with uh, with either 
regulations or the lack of regulations or deregulating those very industries. So for me, that's a huge conflict of interest and a red flag that makes me question whether uh, I want to support that person's um, run for office if Mm -hmm. I happen to be one of their constituents. Me too. Political though. We're getting me too. Okay. Yeah, we'll get out of that. (laughs) We'll get out of that. But I I think it's really important that people understand about glyphosate and Roundup and understand what's going on with their their food supply. You know, um, I recently, well, oh, oh, actually a little while ago, saw I, I had this vision of them just spraying the crops. But I also found out that glyphosate was used in the drying process as well in the crops themselves, for example, in wheat type Mm -hmm. crops. And I I just, that really is concerning to me that you're just getting, you know, tons and tons of doses of potentially glyphosate that you are ingesting in your system, which is, you know, a neurotoxin, a carcinogenic, you know, it's, it's a trigger for autoimmune issues. So just, I wish that they would stop because I think that that's creating some food sensitivities that appear like food sensitivities, but maybe aren't. I, I would not be surprised. And, and the thing is we think of people who are smaller, right? Children, people who are small, um, and children whose neurological systems are still in development. You know, if you're a a 30 pound kid versus a, a 200 pound person, the impact of those pesticides, those herbicides, it's going to have a very different effect on someone of that size. And um, that that's going to mean that your intake is going to be much, much higher. Not that you're eating the same amount of food. Someone who's an adult is probably eating more than a child, but the effects are going to be exponential for a child who is still in development. So that's a really big issue and a really big concern. Yeah. So take home tips from today, because we covered a lot of ground and we covered a lot of really cool topics, but you know, somebody just getting going with this and they're like, you know, it's so overwhelming. I feel like it's, it's 10 things that I need to do and everything's killing me. So, which is not the case. Right. But let's like, maybe give some top tips to maybe start with for somebody that's maybe new to the process. Mm -hmm. Number one, take a breath. Um, because no one has to be perfect to make a shift that will actually make a difference. So it's not about being a hundred percent. It's not about taking everything out of your diet. Suddenly I'm a big fan of adding things in. So instead of making people feel like they have to restrict or let go of something or like lose their favorite piece of bacon that they have every Saturday morning or whatever, I start by saying, where can you begin to add something in? If we're talking about diet, like How can we get a cup of beans in this week? How can you add in one additional vegetable each day? How could you add in maybe a spice each day? And maybe it's about each week, I'm going to add in one thing, right? That's so easy to take a step back and go, oh, I have to add in one thing each week. Yeah. But then you think about it, end of a year, you've made 50 changes and that is going to make a difference, right? And the other thing is that as soon as people start making changes that make them feel better, that is an amazing feedback loop that your brain gets like, wow, I feel so good when I ate that thing. I better do it again. Right. So um, that incentivizes us to make those changes because they have a positive effect. So I think it builds upon itself. That's a great tip. That's a really great tip. So is, is there anything that I didn't ask that you think is important that we touch on before we wrap up? 
know. I mean, I think I, gosh, we, we, we got to politics. We talked about <laughs> culture. We, I, I feel like it was a, a really great conversation. And I thank you for, you know, having all these wonderful questions where, where we could explore this together and also help people hopefully feel inspired to make a change and not afraid to try something a little bit new. Exactly. Exactly. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Oh, uh, they can find me on my website, which is marypurdy.co. That's marypurdy.co, not com, but .co. And I also have a podcast, which is called The Nutrition Show. So you can take a look for that um, on my website or in iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. It was such a great conversation. It was wonderful to have you. Love all the wonderful information. Love what you're doing. Thank you, Dr. Barter. It was so lovely to chat with you today and I'm honored to have been um, a guest today. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne-Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit DrAnneMarieBarter.com.